Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. This week, I'm excited to share with you a special episode of Transform It Forward. Axway recently held its customer event, Axway Summit 2021, where we held our first dedicated panel for women in technology. I enjoyed the session so much, I wanted to share it here. It was a fantastic conversation moderated by Axway's VP of Customer Success and Experience, Anne Lloyd. Enjoy the session. Working in tech is fast-paced, innovative, and unpredictable. Working as a woman in tech is all that. With the challenges of navigating your career path in a traditionally male-dominated arena, And today, we have a leading group of women in tech that will level up from across industries and across the globe, sharing their experiences and why diversity is a necessity for any leading company. I'd like to introduce you to our host for the panel, who has been with Axway for 20 years and has been at the heart of working with Axway's clients. Coming to you from Paris, Vice President for Customer Success and Experience, Anne Lloyd. However, before we begin, I have a quick question for you, Anne. How committed is Axway to developing women in the tech industry? Thanks, Deborah. That's a great question. Um, As you mentioned, I've been with Axway now for over 20 years. And during that time, I've seen very strong commitment to developing and supporting women in our industry. And I can quite honestly say I'm I'm really proud to be part of that. So how are we doing? Today, uh, women represent about 29% of our workforce, and that's up from 28% in 2018. How does this compare overall with the IT sector? Well, according to the professional trade organization, Santec Numérique in France, Women represent just under 28% in the digital sector and about 27% in engineering schools. So, you know, we're at 29%. That's a a little better in in respect to the Santec Numérique. And according to women in tech statistics, uh, only 26% of computing jobs are held by women today. So, again, we're a little bit ahead of the curve, but obviously we would like to do even better and uh, keep progressing in that direction. In addition, one other important point I'd like to make is that uh, according to IDC, the percentage of women in senior leadership positions grew from 21 to 24 percent between 2018 and 2019. Well, today in Axway, we have 29 percent of women in 29 percent of management positions are held by women today. So, you know, again, I think that we're doing okay. We're doing pretty well compared to uh, the average, but obviously we would like to do better. So I can assure you that Axway is highly committed to supporting and developing women in our industry. And we're also affiliated with a number of associations, such as the Professional Women's Network in Europe, also Women Reboot in Ireland, which is an organization aimed at women who have taken a career break in IT and are looking to get back into the workplace. And then thirdly, uh, an association called WIFI, which is aimed at introducing 14 to 16-year-old girls uh, to digital professions. And of course, our commitment to developing women, supporting women, led to us putting together this all-women panel that I'm very honoured to be hosting today. So enough from me, and let's uh, introduce you to the panellists. I'm joined today by Chavi Bargav, 
Data Exchange Service Manager at Ford Motor Company, Fernanda Toscano, IT Senior Executive at HDI Insurance, and Susanna Schutz, SVP of Customer and Business Intelligence at DB Schenker. All of my guests today are highly successful leaders in their field in the IT sector, and I personally have found their stories very, very inspiring and interesting, and I'm sure that you will too. So let's go to the first question. I'm very curious to know, in view of the fact that women are so underrepresented in our industry, how you got into the IT world in the first place. Was it a vocation? Was it an accident? Was it some kind of intuition? Fernanda, would you like to start with that question? So my mother is a doctor and I just grew up to become a doctor as well. When I was young, my playground was the hospital. But when I was at school, I always loved the math. So when I needed to do the task to, to go to college, I just in a moment decided to do IT. So it was really shocking for everybody that knew me because everybody knew that I should be a doctor. For me, it was like something really, really natural. So I was scared because it was really a a fast decision that I had to take. But after that, when I joined the, the college, I didn't have any experience with IT. So I was really afraid of it. So after the first month of college, I just realized that that was what I want to do. So since then, I'm really happy in this field and I, I feel like realized in what I do. Very good. And Chubby, I believe that you told me um, that your parents also hoped that you would go into medicine, but that wasn't going to happen, was it? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's true. And my parents wanted me to go into medicine path. They put me through training courses, but none of that interested me. What interested me was the new technology that was coming up. It was readily available. I was anyways only allowed to study any field that was in the city that I was growing up. So out of curiosity, I joined a you know training program in IT. And I'm a naturally driven problem solving. So when I wrote my first piece of code and it actually gave me a result, instant result, that just made me so happy. And ever since I've just enjoyed this field and, you know, my parents also gave up their dream of making me a doctor. I just fell in love with IT. Excellent. And Susanna, you were definitely on a scientific track from the start, but not quite in IT. Uh, so tell us a bit about how you got into IT. Yeah, my first natural interest was astronomy and theoretical physics. And I started to study that coming from a family where the parents were more into the humanities. So they didn't even try to put me on a path because I was really intrinsically always motivated with technology or sciences. However, when you study theoretical physics, you use a lot of computers there, also in the 80s. And it was the golden 80s, the first golden age of IT technology. So I saw the the opportunities there, and more and more I shifted over. And in the end, when I finished my studies, I had given up uh, for the time being uh, to study theoretical physics. So it was... I would say, if you call that intrinsically motivated, always clear that I would not go into humanities, but more into a science-driven part. 
So you're obviously all extremely successful and, and leaders in your field, but I imagine that along the way you've faced some challenges and overcome those challenges. Chavi, what have been the main challenges for you on your career path? The key challenges and I faced uh, was new country, new language and IT, uh, you know, at that time, Y2K was starting and a lot of focus on Y2K. So everybody was focusing on mainframe. So mainframe was also, you know, a fairly new environment for me. On top of it, being a mother. So balancing life at home and at work. But I focused on dividing my time as best as I could between home and at work. And when I entered into any discussions, I also learned very early on to focus on data-driven discussions, to take the emotions out of uh, you know, any part of the discussions where possible. And that kind of kept me focused on overcoming any challenges that I did encounter and keep focusing on moving forward on what problem I really wanted to solve or what is it that we are, you know, our goal is and what we're trying to achieve. I think that's a really excellent point, you know, relying on the data, taking the emotion out of the discussion. I think you make some very good points there. Fernanda, I think that you face slightly different challenges having graduated so young. Can you tell us about that? So I graduated with 20 years old. And uh, I just grew up in the, the profession very soon. So when I was 22, I was managing more than 100 people and 100 men. So I had a, a challenge on that, but uh, I never cared about being woman there. So they had many jokes, because, especially because I was too young and everybody was older than me. But uh, for me, it, it was something like I didn't care. So I participated on the jokes, I just laughed, and, and I tried to start to have the leadership by example. So I was part of them, I was there with them, so my play with them just came naturally. It's interesting because personally, my challenges were not really because I was a woman, but more because I was the least technical person in the room in every single conversation. So, you know, I think it's interesting that yours was more related to being young. Uh, Suzanne, would you like to take that question? A little bit like Fernanda, I was having a lot of other dimensions, you know, being the only IT person in a group, being the youngest person in a group or being the only one who doesn't understand anything about logistics when I joined Schenker in the management team, and also uh, traveling the former start, uh, would say Eastern European countries in the 90s was a challenge. Yeah? So, and you came there as an Austrian, coming from the former Western area, traveling to the former Eastern area. That's all long past, but at the time, I think there were so many things which were special that, being a woman was kind of natural, yeah? For instance, especially in the Eastern countries, women in the workplace were always very common, contrary to my home country in Austria, which kind of had to catch up a little bit. But there, there was a female CFO. So I never really, you know, was treated special. I took it like Fernanda. I played with the jokes, played with the flow. I met with the people at the bar after the meetings and we had a lot of fun. And I, I must seriously say, maybe I'm just too, you know, headstrong, but I never really 
felt that woman was the biggest differentiator that I had. You know, that resonates well uh, to when I started working in IT. I was the youngest team member uh, at that time. And we didn't have very many females. I uh, started my first job at Caterpillar. But a lot of uh, male mentors, they were very helpful, very supportive. So I quite didn't uh, feel like, you know, that being a woman was as much as a challenge as learning new things and associating with people. And, you know, when you don't get help, figure out how to do things on your own. And when help was needed, people were around. I can agree to that. I also had a lot of male mentors who just didn't care whether I was female or not. If I had good ideas, if I had the drive to bring things forward, I think they were just treating me as an equal. And that was something, maybe it's stupid to say, but I never had to fight for it. It was more my approach, my ideas, my dedication and passion for what I was doing. Yeah. So following up on what you just said there, Susanna, what advice would you give to your male colleagues about how best to support um, work with women and get the best results? I would say just treat everyone the same, like a decent human being, be friendly to people, assume that they want to contribute to the overall goal and make no differentiation yeah, about any diversity aspects that you might have. There you made an interesting point about cultural differences. In Axway, we have offices in, well, all over the world, but we have fairly large development centers in Romania and Bulgaria. And very interestingly, in Romania, we almost have 50-50 parity men and women. So, you know, it's quite different from other parts of the world. You know, they obviously do something different in terms of education. I think it's also part of their normal way of life. Also that young mothers can work and that it's absolutely normal for them to work. I know that in France, for instance, also the acceptance of that is bigger than compared to the country where I come from, which is Austria. So I I think it was also said before, there was maybe a challenge seen when my daughter was born and I continued to work, but it was a challenge others did see, but my family and I didn't see it. And that helped me a lot because I took more the approach that is where you continue to work, continue to pursue your career to also, you know, enjoy the time with your child and and really then focus on your child, but also have this balance uh, and and pursue what you love to do, what you choose to as as your job or as your career. So as it happens, we're all not only IT professionals, but mothers as well. How easy has it been for you to find that work-life balance, especially when looking after young children? I was lucky because my husband works in IT as well. So he understands very well what happens and and the demands that we have. And when my, my son was born, I was stable in the career. So everything has already happened for me. So that was something that I was ready to do it. So it helped a lot. And today, I really think that I have here at my home a good balance and we can manage that very well. Very cool. So coming back to that question that women still are generally underrepresented, obviously, you know, there are countries like 
Romania where it's a bit different, but women still are fairly underrepresented. Do you have any thoughts on why that is? Where does that come from? Is it education, conditioning? What are your thoughts on that? Susanna, would you like to? It's very hard to give an answer to that because if you choose your field of work, you will spend 40 plus years on it. So you should choose something which is close to your passion. Like in my case, I wasn't maybe not able to follow my first passion, but I choose something which was close to it and which I also like. And if it's then something associated with IT or with tech or with humanities or like becoming a doctor, I think you should be good in your field, whatever it is. And if it's then freedom of choice, I think that's the most important part. And that's what also I try to give my daughter, who definitely will not end up in IT. Chavi, would you like to take that question? Yeah, so in the times that I was growing up, there was a lot of stereotyping on women should only do this, women should only do that. But fortunately... My parents allowed me the freedom of choice, as Suzanne mentioned, uh, you know, being able to study in the field that I would like. And as the, you know, more women are coming into the workplace, finding that acceptance has been helpful and is helpful. You know, the conditioning that was there is slowly, slowly moving away. Women are getting freedom of choice. And as they explore what they're passionate about, I am very hopeful that, uh, you know, it won't be women versus men kind of dialogue. It will be more like, you know, what do you really want to do and what you want, you know, you're good at. So let's talk about diversity. A 2020 McKinsey report found that diverse companies perform better. They hire better talent. They have more engaged employees. And they retain workers better than companies that do not focus on diversity and inclusion. So what are your thoughts about uh, diversity, about gender parity, the value of women in the workplace, and more broadly about diversity in general? I think that uh, one brings a lot of value. Uh, I'd say that patience, empathy is something really important because I think women are more, uh, they care more about people usually. So I think that this balance creates a very diversity environment. I always want to have different people in my team. I always select to work with me the most different person that I find because I really believe that as you have many different types of work that are performed, because you have many different of view and in the middle you find things to do. So I really believe that woman has many, many aspects that create very organized life. And I have a slightly differing opinion. I, uh, you know, totally value diversity. Uh, the team that I have, you know, we have all kinds of perspectives and people with diverse backgrounds. However, what I am observing and learning is that focusing on getting the right skill set that has naturally built a diverse team, at least uh, you know where I am. And core values diversity quite a bit. So getting that support, right, and not having any roadblock there and building your team based on the skill set and the desire uh, that is naturally there in people automatically builds a diverse team, which, as you know, you rightly pointed out, you know, brings more value to any company. 
And maybe I can tie both your answers together because I'm, I'm totally with Xavi. I also have a very diverse team and I look into having complementary skills. Yeah, because, you know, if you only have techie guys and you build an application, probably the users might miss something. So I bring in people who see the user side, who see the techie side, who are experts in edge technology, or uh, I bring in people who come more from the detailed viewpoint or the people who see the big picture. And that's a little bit what Fernanda mentioned, because especially in my leadership team, I need the balance and people who complement my characteristics, you know, being pushy, being going forward. But you need to have these detailed guys who then only speak up after a while and who then, you know, drag you down and make sure what you dream of really works. And that, now tying it together, automatically creates diversity because you will get different ages, different backgrounds, different education, different experience. And by the way, men and women. And do you think, I mean, in your career, have you seen a change in terms of diversity over the years or has it always been like that? What's your experience? Specifically working in global teams, that has changed a lot. I mean, I come from a very small country. I worked then in the vicinity of the country, like 12 countries around Austria or to the southeastern part of Austria. And now I work globally and my people are located in all continents. And that has changed because that's becoming more common because also of the technical possibilities, like we are talking now, sitting also on in different countries, different time zones. And that has helped us a lot to work globally and also get the benefits of working globally, just across time zones, you know, handing tasks over and things like that. So I think that has changed a lot, at least since I started working in IT with both the late 80s. And Suzanne, that's a very interesting point. You know, when you talk about global, you know, I've always worked in global teams. And because we are located in different regions and, you know, working with people in all kinds of areas, I think that itself has changed quite a bit in the last 30 years when I was growing up, you know, really cooped up in my own zone to now in the global environment. It has brought a lot of value, a lot of understanding. And with that, I think empathy too. So if there was one thing that you would like to see change in the future for women in the IT sector, uh, what would it be? There's one thing I mentioned before that it's natural to, as a young mother to also parallel have a career. I would like to see that really being nothing you talk about. And still in some countries, including my own, it's still the exception if you don't take a break. And that should also be a freedom of choice. That's the second thing. It shouldn't be a must. It should be a freedom of choice because there are so many models of your life and, and things of what you think would be important. And not everybody wants to, you know, pursue a career with 60 hours a week. And I totally get that. But it should be a freedom of choice. That's important. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Fernanda or, or Chavi, do you have anything that you would really like to see change in addition to Susanna's comments? Yeah, I would say um, exposure of different fields to people that are young in high school or in college. So they get to see what life would be like 
in the field that they are pursuing. Because I'm seeing and observing there is a lot of confusion when we get to college and people switch a lot. But giving them early exposure in uh, different careers, in different roles, at least that's what I tried with my kids also. And that helped them stay focused in their realm that they wanted to pursue. I would say that should have some opportunity to to test the field before you you just select the major that you are going to join the college. I really believe that uh, when you, you are too young, you are not ready. To, to make this decision. So if the schools provide a place where you should test in real life and, and just see how it is in the real life, I really believe that people should, should choose better. I think that's an excellent point. You know, it's so difficult when you're 16 years old to make a decision for the rest of your life. So being able to test things out would be a, a great step forwards. And then I would like to add one more thing that, you know, will at least I would have gotten help from it. If there are, uh, you know, for young kids, daycare centers in the workplace or very close to workplace, I think that eases uh, minds a lot, you know, especially for uh, women who don't want to give up uh, the quality of their family as well as very passionate about, you know, being able to build their career. Um, I think that would be a lot of help. Yes, I think that that's a really important point for all employers out there today. I can certainly agree that it would have made my life a lot easier. Now, we do have a question coming in from the audience right now. How has the pandemic impacted your ability to lead your team to overcome challenges generated by the pandemic? and maintain high levels of performance and customer satisfaction. Is a remote workforce something that you faced as part of the pandemic? And how is that working for you? I would start with the answer. My team always was global. So we already were working remotely together. And the teams which I lead, yeah, they, they were having colleagues across the globe. So they were already used to work globally. So in the end, nothing much changed. It was only a change within the Cindy locations. What we, however, noticed is that the biggest locations tended to have a kind of an advantage because they were sitting together. And when we did town halls, some people were local and others were remotely, also in the team meeting. Now that everybody is remotely, we even saw an increase of interaction because the people who used to be remotely, had now the same chance to talk, and they took the chance to talk, than the others who used to be on site. So in the end, in the existing team, and I want to limit this a little bit to my existing team, it even increased interaction, and it increased the value of, you know, having coffee talks, which we now have uh, we have uh, some, some meeting rooms where we meet up and we ping each other, so we've established that, but cross-location, not only in one location. So I think it's a different view if you build up new teams. And that means if the whole team is new and nobody knows each other, that's, of course, something which is more challenging. And then you need to take more time. But for an existing team who's already global, it was more or less even some, some surprising results. And Savi, how has it been at Ford? So. In the pandemic, being able to work remotely was definitely helpful, right? 
everybody was worried. They wanted to be close to their family, being able to work and not lose their job, yet stay safe. So that was definitely very helpful. However, there is value in both. So having the flexibility to being able to work from home when you need it and the face time that you get at work. So for team members that have been part of an existing team, it is less of a challenge right now because they all know each other. They know how to work with each other and you've been able to you know, give them some time together. But as you're bringing new members of the team, not having any face time is challenging. And the other challenge comes with uh, technical difficulties. So if your laptop breaks down or, you know, you're not able to connect from home because of poor internet, that's the other challenge which comes with remote work. And the third thing that I see is that whole being able to take yourself away from your personal space and going to professional space, right? Now, our personal spaces have become our professional spaces, and it's a you know, fine line that is hard to balance for some versus others. And not everybody is comfortable sharing their personal space and come, you know, for a face-to-face or a webcam kind of interaction. So those challenges are there with, you know, working remotely. So I think it's good for when there is pandemic kind of situation, but overall, I think flexibility is better route for the long. So the next question was, did you have any female mentors during your career, either in a personal or a professional capacity? In terms of the career, I I didn't have a a specific female mentor. So I had many male mentors. And as I mentioned, I never cared if it was woman or man. So it was almost the same thing for me. In terms of the the life aspiration, I really appreciate uh, Michelle Obama. I really believe in the way that she managed things and she cares about things and how she really believes that people are really important. But in terms of the career, I always have male mentors. Which is also perhaps a reflection of that like imbalance in the uh, the gender distribution. Yeah. Female mentors, uh, Chavi or Susanna, how important has that been to you? Either you know in your personal life or professional. Yeah. Pretty much what Fernanda said. I, I had male mentors who just didn't care that I happened to be by chance female. It's, of course, a reflection. Uh, most of them were, of course, part of Schenker and logistics industry was and still to a certain extent is a little bit more on the male side than on the female side. Huh? So I have had both female and male mentors like, you know, both Susanna and uh, Fernanda did. My mother was a strong, is a strong woman. So women and strength and being able to do things independently, that's the characteristic I look for in any mentor. And, you know, being able to candidly speak and uh, share your thoughts. So I found that in both male and female mentors. So I have been lucky that way. So we have one last audience question. What advice would you give to young women contemplating a career in the tech industry today. So, Chavi, maybe you could take this one. I would say find what your passion is. Explore different areas to really figure out what you want to do. But in tech, what I found is problem solving, the desire to be able to make a difference and see the results, that 
is, uh, you know, highly, highly encouraged here. And you see it, uh, you know, day in and day out of your life. The other uh, benefit that I saw in tech is being able to work from home and, uh, you know, balance with your family. That also is an advantage in the tech industry. So I would strongly encourage if you are passionate about problem solving and want to maintain work-life balance, then this is a good feel. Fernanda? I would say that if you really like what Charlie mentioned, get to know it. I really believe that you need to do what's good for you. And uh, you need to, to fall in love with your job. If you do that, it will be easier, it will be light, it will be very pleasant to have a job that you like. So test it, see if that, that's what you want. But if it is, just go ahead. I always recommend IT for everybody because I really believe that's a really wonderful tool to work. Yeah, not much to add because I fully agree to Fernanda and Xavi. However, I have one other benefit if you work in tech or in IT. You can choose many, many companies to work with because you are flexible. Each company on this globe now needs IT and you can choose whatever industry you want. So my last question then today, are women in tech, transformers or disruptors? In a couple of words, what would, what do you think? Both, but in a different sequence. First you disrupt and then you transform, Yeah. I would say both, but I have a slightly differing opinion on the sequence because you have to identify where transformation is needed versus disruption is needed. So things that are working well, you just transform and uh, you know disrupt where things are not going so well. So for me, it's a combination, and it's again you know depending upon the situation. I agree with Chavi, and I really believe that. You need to disrupt, but there are some things that you need to transform. So I really believe that you need to organize which thing you, you, you need to use the disruptiveness and what you should transform. Excellent. So we should have asked you before we made the title for the panel discussion, in fact. <laughs> so listen, we've come to the, the end of our time, and I, I'd really like to thank you very much for your stories and your insights really has been truly inspiring and fascinating. I feel like we could have talked for another hour. Um, so now we know women can be both transformers and disruptors. I really appreciated the session and enjoy the stories about how the women got into technology, how they can best navigate their careers in a male-dominated industry, and frankly, the need for diverse leadership in every company. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time.